So what you need to know about me as a kid is I had this like weird obsession of like making my, like, like putting my mark on things. Like if I went somewhere, like I wanted, I wanted to make a mark, like people to know I was there. Like I worked at this church when I was like your age, like 15 years old. And I promise you, there is not, I think there's still some there, there is not a door frame in that place. You only open the door like where the door would usually cover up without my initials on it. So like every day I worked, I was like, yeah, and here's a new one. And I would like mark my initials in everything. Because I, for some reason, I was just like, you know what? I just want, I want to make my mark that in years from now, long after I'm gone, <clears throat> that this church probably still won't be standing because it's super old. But in my head at 15, I was like, this church is still going to be here. And they're going to be like, who is CMW? He must have been a legend, right? Like he was huge. <clears throat> like if you go to Petco, if you go to Petco in Pearland, Texas, that's where I grew up, you will see out in front of the Petco main entrance doors a giant CW. Because me and my brother went by there one night, afternoon, when the concrete was being poured, and we were like, man, we've got to do it, right? We've got to leave our initials. Like, we've got to leave our mark here for, for it to go on that people now, as they walk in and out in Petco, they ask that one question, who is CW? Where is he? He must have been marvelous, right? Like, you can hear them saying it now. I can. Yeah, it was great. So... <clears throat> I even put y'all like, dude, you are so awkward. <laughs> I even poured a patio uh, at my house here in Virginia. And you better believe it. Like, I put my initials in that thing. Like, I marked it up. I was like, this thing's going to last longer than I'm going to last. And people are going to be like, man, who was this guy that's leaving his initials everywhere? I want to know him. Like, it's in all of us, right? You, you made, some of you guys are like, yeah, like, I get it. Like, I mark everything, right? Like, I'm like, I, I'm like a dog, okay? Like, I'm marking my territory, right? Like, everything. That you were just marking everything up. Like, I, I thought, and I was thinking, like, is this just me? And then I remember the story my grandfather told me. <clears throat> that his neighbor in East Te or West Texas, excuse me, his neighbor in West Texas was the guy who made the pole that held the flag that was on the moon. Okay, crazy, right? He's dead now. This guy, <laughs> what? Uh, this guy made the pole that held the flag that was on the moon. All those pictures of a flag on the moon is a real thing. It's not made up. It's not Photoshop. That a guy really made that pole for that flag on the moon. Here's the thing. They were not allowed to mark up the pole in any way that it could only just be a pole and a flag. But what he did was he wrote his name on the inside of the pole. So if you were to cut that pole open and you look in there, you'd see all the people that kind of manufactured and made that possible. They all signed the inside of the pole before they completed the structure of that pipe. Kind of crazy, right? That he, he wrote his name, he marked it. He wanted to mark something that would go down in history to show, right, that he had a part in that. He was there when it happened and he had a role in making it happen. The reason I tell you that is because we are starting this all-in series. And we are saying it's more than a series. What you're going to hear if your parents come here on Sunday mornings is they're going to, they're going to, you're going to hear them talking about it because Pastor Heath is going to be talking about what it means to be all in. 
See, all of us have a place, like we can be in on all sorts of things. We can commit our lives to all sorts of things. We can choose to put our marks on all sorts of things and contribute to all sorts of things. Some of them very meaningless, like a Petco parking lot. Some of them are very like iconic, huge, going to change history. And what's really remarkable about tonight is that this tonight will be a marker, a landmark in history. And I'm not making a big, bigger deal than this is. That tonight will be a landmark in history that begins a process of God doing something crazy in Chesapeake. See, we've been talking about what it means. We're going to start talking about what it means to be all in. And what we've decided as a church and what we prayed about as a church and what we feel led to do by the Lord as a church is that big plot of land. If you went to the fall party and we were out in that big grassy field, that we are going to build a worship center there. That we are currently, this is the worship center on Sunday morning. And currently it holds about 800 people. And currently most services we fill it up to an uncomfortable level that those who don't go to church or who don't know Jesus would come in and say it's too crowded, it's too inconvenient and leave. That currently we are not meeting the needs of Chesapeake the way that we feel we should be and we feel led to. And so the Lord has, has given us a go-ahead and told us, man, yes, put it on our hearts, yes, we're going to build a worship center. And the worship center will hold 1,400 people in it. That we can begin to minister to Chesapeake in a, in a better way. That more people can come in and find rest. And more people can come in and be refocused. And more people can then go affect the Tidewater area. That can affect Chesapeake and Norfolk. That's what we feel led to do. And tonight marks the moment where you as students receive a formal, oper- a formal uh, invitation from me right now that says, are you willing, do you want to be all in? Do you want to be part of something that is going to be historical, that is going to change this community? Do you want to be part of something that is much bigger than putting your initials in a patio, than writing on a wall in a bathroom stall, that is going to be much bigger than any of those things, that is going to change lives in a much bigger way? See, right now I'm giving you the invitation, but I'm not expecting a response yet. Like, I expect your response in four weeks from today. And four Sunday nights, that you're going to have an opportunity to respond and decide whether, yes, I want to be a part of something that is going to be much bigger than this. In middle school, I was talking and talking, and this little girl, she raised her hand, and she's just raising it, right? And she didn't seem like one of those goofball kids that's going to ask me a dumb question. She's like, seemed like reasonable. And so I was like, okay, yeah, what do you want? She said, well, what's going to happen to this area? I was like, man, that's a great question. Because not only are we going to do something historic over there, but this becomes your primary space. That this becomes a space where the harbor can be the harbor, where we don't have these chairs all against the wall. 
where we can put new things in, where we can have couches all the time in here, where we're not moving furniture and moving things all the time, where we can begin to create a space where you can begin to give input and say, man, this is what would be awesome for teenagers today. This is what would be awesome for high school students students today that we could do in this place, that not only are we building something for adults to come and to worship and for you to go and to worship, but also we are creating a space where we can say, man, Here, if you are a student and you are searching for hope and you are searching for truth and you are searching for life, I mean, we have a place that we built for you. That you can come and find and meet a person we call Jesus. Goes by the powerful name of Jesus. That what you get to be a part of, what you get to respond to in four weeks is saying, man, yes, I wanna be all in on that. I wanna be all in on that vision that God is putting on your heart right now. That dream of saying, man, I wanna be a part of, what, of, what, of how God changes Chesapeake, of how God is at work. That when it's all done and when it's all built, you're going to be able, if you commit to being, man, yes, I wanna be all in, to stand back and say, man, God used me in that. That I had a part in that. Something like that just doesn't happen. It doesn't just go on good wishes, right? Like, okay, great, let's do it. Like, it takes commitment from people. I would sum it up in this. It takes you having the mind of a Macedonian. You're like, what is Macedonian? What is that? The people of Macedonia were written about in Scripture. And they were written about as being a people of grace, that we've been talking about grace. If you haven't been here, I'm gonna catch you up real quick. That we had two weeks on prayer, and before that, we had four weeks on what it, grace was, on what God's grace in our life was. And we said, man, it was God's grace that gives us identity and gives us value that says we matter. And the way we defined grace was this unearned, undeserved favor that God gave us through Jesus. That Jesus was the evidence of God's love for you. That if you're ever there and you're saying, man, I don't know if God really loves me. I don't know if he really cares. He doesn't see anything going on in my life. That you can always look back at Jesus and say, man, of course he loves me. That he let his own son die for me. That the things I'm dealing with, though they may be big in my life right now, I can look back and I can say, man, but look at Jesus. God loves me, so he must have some kind of plan and some kind of idea on how he's going to lead me through this that he hasn't left me, that he didn't let his son die for me and then let me go and rot, that he's in it. That's what grace says. That's what Jesus represents. And it says that the people of Macedonia were people of that kind of grace. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians. He says this, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, it says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I want you to hear that. In severe affliction and in extreme poverty, plus grace, 
severe affliction that they were being, people were getting sick in their family. People were dying. People were leaving. People were fighting. People were persecuting. That they were being afflicted. That things weren't going well in their life. And not only that, but on top of it, they were poor. That they had extreme poverty. Some of you are like, I'm poor, but you don't have extreme poverty. Why? Because you ate today. Because you're going to a house tonight. That anyone in here that says, man, no, actually, I don't have a house and I'm actually on the streets tonight. You're in extreme poverty. Also, come talk to me because I'd love to give you a place to stay. We don't know extreme poverty. That's not something we experience often. If you went on a mission trip to Africa, with some of you did last summer, you saw extreme poverty. That they said, man, severe affliction, extreme poverty. This is the mind of a Macedonian. Plus the grace of Jesus equals an abundance of joy and an extreme generosity. Don't you hear that? That even in the midst of saying, I don't have anything, and not only do I not have anything, I'm going into the negative because of the affliction, but yet I see the grace of God in all that he's given me. And so I can have joy and I can give because I know I'll never outgive God and God will never abandon me. Why? Because I live in his grace. His grace says I matter and I will never not matter to God. And so he will never not give me what I need. That he will always give me what I need. So if you need something, I can give it to you because God will in return still give me exactly what I need. That's a mind shift switch. It shifts. It, man, that's a mind shift right there. I can't even say that word. A mind shift. Where we're no longer saying, do I have enough? How am I going to get enough? And then, oh, here's a little off the top. You can have that. It's saying, man, I'll give you whatever you need because I know God's going to give me whatever I need. That's grace. In the midst of affliction, in the midst of poverty, I can give abundantly. See, it's the mind of the Macedonian that if we adopt, we'll build a building. It's the mind of a Macedonian that if we adopt, we'll change this group, we'll change our schools, we'll change our families. It's in the mind of a Macedonian that God's will will be accomplished in this place. Nothing short of it. He goes on to finish the verse. He says, for they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord. Beyond their means. If I'm going to give according to my means, then I'm going to give according to what I have. If I'm going to give beyond my means, I'm going to give according to what I don't even have yet. That's called debt. And if you go in debt on a car or on a uh, on a jet ski or on a four-wheeler or, or on whatever you girls buy. I don't know, what'd you say? Hairdo? I don't know, whatever it is that you go in debt on. That that, that's not the debt we're talking about here. But they went in debt saying, man, I'm gonna give you what you need right now, even though it makes me go in debt beyond my means. Because I know God's going to give me what I need. It's an interesting shift in, in the mindset. 
He goes on in verse seven. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in your love and in our love for you, see that you excel in acts of grace also. And so he goes on to write this church in Corinth. He says, here's the mind of the Macedonian that I'm challenging you to adopt. Go back to that scripture real quick. He says, but then as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, your, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So he's saying, you come to church and you learn and you grow and you begin to know God's word. That you begin to love one another. You begin to love what God is doing. He says, but I, I'm challenging you on challenging you on this, that you would excel in grace also, that you would excel in unearned, undeserved favor for other people also, that the grace of God would not fall flat on you, meaning that it would not stop with you, but that it would continue out of you, that if God fills you, you would begin to pour out grace onto others. That what it means for you to be all in is for you to adopt that mindset. And that's not something that you just do that just happens. It's something that you learn to do. That as you learn who God is, as you begin to fall in love with God and, and, and through Jesus and his relationship that you have with him, that you begin to adopt this mindset that God begins to change you through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. That if we're going to do something great in this generation, in this place, in this city, that's what we gotta do. And here's what the enemy wants to tell you on that. And I'm gonna close with this. The enemy wants to tell you that you're too young, that you don't have enough experience, that you don't make any money, that your resources are depleted, that you're too busy, that you're not good enough. And he wants to do that through older generations. That I remember walking around stores with my buddy and I guess we just looked sketchy. I remember going into AutoZone and I was just looking at floor mats, he was asking something else and the guy wouldn't even stand and talk with him. At the counter, what he did is as he was talking, he went around and literally looked down the aisle at me because he wanted to make sure, I don't know, that I wasn't shoving a floor mat in my pants. Like, I don't know what he thought was gonna happen. But why did he do it? He did it because I was a teenager. He did it because he said, this is the reputation teenagers have. That we think very little of them. That the world is not in your favor to do something great. I'm going to be honest about it. That people aren't expecting a lot from you. That's why I love the encouragement you get from, from Timothy. And this is the last verse I'm going to read. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul's writing this guy. He's beginning to start a church and he's beginning to work. And, he says, and he's young. He's not 20, 30. You know, he's young. He's your age. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, 
But set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. People don't expect a lot out of you. It's a shame. Because what I see when I see you, when I walk with you, when I talk with you, when we hang out, is I see a lot of potential. I see people who have an ability to be used by God in the same way any adult, any man, any woman in this church, in this town could be used. That you have the same Holy Spirit residing in you with the same power that's using you in the same way if you would say, God, use me how you want to. That I see a lot of potential in here. And he says, and so don't be, don't let anyone despise you. Don't let anyone hate you, think little of you, underestimate you for your youth. Don't give in to de- that deception, that lie. He says, but set the believers an example in how you talk and how you act and how you love and how you trust how you conduct yourself as far as purity is concerned. What you watch, who you kiss, when you kiss, where you kiss, don't kiss, stop kissing, no kissing. He says, set an example, set an example that show them by your life that you are valuable and you are useful and you are dangerous to the enemy. See, what's really interesting about, about this is it goes two ways. First, they say, man, you, don't let anyone despise you. They're looking down on you. But here's the other side of that coin. I want you to hear this. It's that it's easy for people to look down on you and you be like, yeah, I'm a teenager, so I'm going to act the way they expect me to act. I'm going to go to the parties. I'm going to go behind my parents' back. I'm going to lie. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do what feels good right now. I'm going to give in to what they expect me to do. But when we break that expectation and when we show them the other side of what it means to live for Jesus in our conduct and in our love and in our purity and in our faith, that we become a huge influencer in this community and in this church family. That this building will be built by the way you set the example. By how you commit to being all in will influence the rest of the church. And some of you are like, yeah, I don't know if I believe. I'm telling you that when you turn this on its head and people start saying, man, look at those teenagers. Look at what they're doing for the glory of God. Look how Jesus is using them. That that begins to light a fire under a 50-year-old who says, like, I don't know. And they say, man, but look at that teenager. If they can do it and they don't have a job, then how can I? If they can do it living amongst all the temptations and still learning how to figure those things out, then shouldn't I? That you become a huge influencer in someone's life. And that's the flip side of that, that you are a powerful force. And so next week when you come in here, like I've been praying about it and thinking about how the service is gonna look next week, and it's gonna be a little bit different. It's gonna be cool, I think. But it's gonna be a little bit different. But one thing you're going to get and you're going to walk out of here next week with is you're going to walk out of here with a card, with a card that's challenging you to commit to being all in. 
And you're not going to turn it in next week or the week after that. But it's that following week I told you. That's when we expect a response. That's when I expect a response from you. And if you're saying, man, God's not calling me to be on, that's, that's on you. That's fine. That's on you. That's your thing. That's between you and God. But I believe he is. And I don't say it in like, I'm going to guilt you because I'm not. It's something exciting. That we get to be a part of something historic. Something that, that has never happened here before. That has never happened in Chesapeake before. Yeah, people have built buildings. People have built churches. People have done things. But River Oak Church has never built an official worship center in Chesapeake, Virginia ever before. God has never been able to use us with that kind of capacity ever before. You have a huge opportunity. So next week, you're going to get a card, and you're going to get to take it home, and you're going to begin to pray over it and talk with your parents about it and decide what it is that you want to commit to do, how you want to commit to be all in. If there's an amount of money you want to give, if there's an amount of time you want to pray, if there's an amount of service you want to give, but you're going to be able to do that. And so next week, we're going to do, we're, we're going to, you're going to get those. But this week, I want you to begin to pray and just ask God simply, man, what is my part? God, what is my part in my school? What is my part in my family? What is my part in my relationship with you, God? What is my part in this church and being all in? What's my part? And I don't mean that right now as we're about to pray that you just pray that real quick. God, what's my part? Could you just tell me? But that becomes your daily prayer this week. That you begin to truly ask, okay, what, what is my part? God, what's my part in our relationship? What, what role should I play? What do I play? Clear that up for me, God. What's the part I need to play in my family and in my school, in this church, in this building? What's my part? I invite you to pray that. You begin to pray that every day. You begin to pray that regularly. You can see that on our Instagram. I'm gonna be reminding you. You begin to pray that. Do you want to be a part of something historic? A part of something amazing? To leave your, just your little initials somewhere on, on, on what God is gonna do on Chesapeake, Virginia. It's going to be amazing. This week, let's commit to praying for that.